DW Africa Link Hello and welcome to the program that keeps you up to date with what's happening in Africa and beyond. My name is Zelia Fröhlich. And I am Eddie Micah Jr. Join us on Facebook at DW Africa and share your thoughts on the stories we're covering. Coming up on the program, a UN peacekeeping ministerial meeting in Accra, Ghana is discussing the success or failure of peacekeeping missions across Africa. The wealth of knowledge to be shared by participating nations will not only deepen our collective understanding, but also provide a solid foundation for developing comprehensive strategies to address contemporary peacekeeping and security challenges. Meanwhile, in the Democratic Republic of Congo, people in the East are calling on their government to ensure their safety as troops from the East African community withdraw from the country. With the EAC gone, it's unlikely to change the situation for civilians on the ground. They still live in a very precarious situation, ongoing displacement of the population because of the M23 rebellion. It looks like EAC troops will now be replaced by a force from SADAC. Stay tuned for the details after the World News. In brief, DW News. Hello, I'm Keith Walker. Nigeria's president, Bolo Tenubu, has called for an investigation into a military drone strike that accidentally killed at least 85 people over the weekend. The Nigerian army said one of its drones, aimed at armed groups, accidentally hit a village in the northern state of Kaduna as residents were celebrating a Muslim festival. Tanubu called the strike, quote, very unfortunate, disturbing and painful. It's one of Nigeria's deadliest military bombing mishaps. The UK has signed a new asylum treaty with Rwanda. The UK Supreme Court previously ruled against the government's plan to send asylum seekers to Rwanda to cut immigration. It said Rwanda could not be considered a safe third country. British Foreign Minister James Cleverly said he believed the deal signed on Tuesday addressed all issues raised by the top court. The signing of the new treaty came just hours after the UK announced fresh plans to reduce legal migration. They include raising the minimum salary for some skilled workers and the number of family members that can be brought to Britain will be further limited. The foreign minister says the challenge, the changes will have a tangible impact on net migration. From January 2024, the right for international students to bring dependents will be removed unless they are on postgraduate courses designated as a research programme. We always want to attract the global brightest and best. We have also stopped international students from switching out of the student route into work routes before their studies have been completed. Africa Link News comes to you from Germany's international broadcaster, DW. A Greenpeace report linking premature deaths to oil companies' fossil fuel exploration has been released at COP28. Speaking at the UN Climate Summit in Dubai, Ugandan climate activist Vanessa Nakate has called for fossil fuels to be banned. And now we hear with this Greenpeace report that nine big European oil and gas companies are responsible for the deaths of about 360,000 people. And this is just in 2022. Fossil fuel companies are knowingly pursuing an immoral business model that has lethal consequences. 
particularly for those in vulnerable communities in the Global South. Four children and one adult have been injured in an explosion in northern Pakistan. Rescue officials say an improvised explosive device went off on a busy road in Peshawar. No group has admitted to carrying out the attack. Finally, a former president of Mauritania has been sentenced to five years in prison for having abused his position to enrich himself. Mohammed Ould Abdel Aziz was elected in 2009. He's believed to have amassed a fortune worth 67 million euros during his 11 years in power. The court also ordered the 66-year-old to forfeit his assets. And that's the latest. I'm Keith Walker. Thanks, Keith, for the news, and thank you for sticking with us on the program. I am Eddie Micah Jr. And my name is Leah Fröhlich. Don't forget to comment on the stories we are covering on our Facebook page, DW Africa. And I can see Lambert Kevin is saying hi um, in our live stream. David Nchamba is there too. And there's also Samuel Goodwin. It's good to have all of you on board. Very welcome to the program. The fifth UN peacekeeping ministerial gathering has opened in Ghana's capital, Accra. It's the first time Africa is hosting such a gathering that seeks to review the works of the UN's peacekeeping activity around the world. This ministerial event is taking place in Africa at a time that peacekeeping missions have faced many challenges in parts of the continent. Isaac Kaleji is attending this meeting and reports from Accra, Ghana. The over 100 delegates meeting in Accra are focusing their deliberations on how best to strengthen UN peacekeeping efforts across the world. Most importantly, delegates would want to work out a plan that ensures that UN peacekeeping missions adapt to current and future challenges. Ghana's Foreign Affairs Minister Shelly Ayokobotri emphasized the significance of the two-day gathering. The ministerial meeting is a platform for the exchange of innovative approaches, best practices, and lessons learned in the field of peacekeeping. The wealth of knowledge to be shared by participating nations will not only deepen our collective understanding, but also provide a solid foundation for developing comprehensive strategies to address contemporary peacekeeping and security challenges. The challenges we face demand sustained commitment and collaboration. High on the agenda is how to reform UN peacekeeping activities after recent and seemingly reputational damage, especially in Africa. In countries like Mali and DR Congo, UN peacekeeping missions haven't made the needed gains as they get often accused of escalating tensions. It has brought into question the relevance of peacekeeping missions. But the Undersecretary General for Peace Operations, Jean-Pierre Lacroix, said the commitment of all nations is essential amid the many doubts. It is very heartening uh, to see this level of attendance and uh, this uh, expression of such a strong dedication to peacekeeping. We need that because peacekeeping as a Uh, The UN as a whole, uh, uh, we are operating against the backdrop of a more divided world, a more divided international community. And uh, this is a reason why, uh, another reason or additional reason why we value so much this uh, level of commitment. The Accra meeting is also part of a series of high-profile resource mobilization efforts to get world leaders to pledge to support the missions to fully implement their mandates. Jean-Pierre Lacroix 
said financial, human and equipment contributions are crucial for any peacekeeping mission. And there is nothing we can do without the contribution of our member states, without uh, the men and women, the units, the uh, individual police and military officers, uh, the uh, support that uh, all of us can provide in terms of uh, training, in terms of technology, in terms of partnerships. The need to advance sustainable peace, protect civilians, and improve the mental health of peacekeepers are also getting major attention at this event. But the meeting is also celebrating successes chalked in the past with more than 2 million peacekeepers from 158 countries who served in 71 operations across the world. Isaac Kalaji reporting from Accra in Ghana. Yeah, talking about peacekeeping troops on the ground earlier, let's go to the Democratic Republic of Congo. Troops from the East African community are withdrawing from Eastern DRC due to failure of protecting civilians from rebel groups, including the M23. Citizens in the volatile East are now calling on the DRC government to ensure their safety. But bear in mind that elections are just two weeks around the corner. Civil society is now calling on the government to redouble its efforts to ensure public safety in volatile Eastern Congo. That's right. So... Isn't more security better than less security? To better understand the mandate of EAC troops on the ground, I asked Phil Clark, Professor of International Politics at SOAS University of London. Troops were mandated to control territory that had been captured by the M23 rebels and to intervene to protect civilians within that territory. So over the last 12 months, that was the great regional hope that that this regional force could come in and and do what the Congolese army had failed to do. There was very little energy from those troops to, in fact, engage the M23 rebels. Uh, There seemed to be a lack of coordination. There was a lack of capacity of those troops to capture and hold territory and, and, and also to repel the rebels, the local population could see that from day one. And, and that's why there were these these protests um, w- within the first few weeks of those those troops arriving in eastern Congo. So are people in eastern DRC going to be less safe with EAC troops leaving or are they going to be okay? With the EAC gone, it's unlikely to change the situation for civilians on the ground. They still live in a very precarious situation. There's an ongoing displacement of the population because of the M23 rebellion. It looks like the EAC troops will now be replaced by a force from SADAC, the the Southern African uh, regional bloc. So there will be a several-week period um, between the EAC and the SADAC mission. And I think a lot of civilians on the ground will be hoping that SADAC can be much more effective uh, than the EAC troops were. Why is there the thinking that SADAC could do a better job? The pressure will be on SADAC to show that it can do the job better, that it can be more coordinated and more coherent uh, to to actually uh, create a viable force. And it also remains to be seen whether the SADAC forces will have the willpower to take the rebels on. M23 is very sophisticated. They're operating in a terrain that they know incredibly well. They're quite a formidable force. It's very unclear whether SADAC will be able to do a better job given the, the strength of the rebels at the moment. What could all this mean for security in the country ahead of elections? This, I think, highlights an incredibly insecure situation. And and, and I don't think we can understate uh, just how violent the situation is for local civilians. Um, We're seeing constant rebel attacks, not just by the M23, but by FDLR, by ADF, by a range of groups 
against the civilian population. So the, the general situation is very insecure. It's very violent. And in Eastern Congo, that will be the context around the elections on the 20th of December. People will not go to the polls in a peaceful and stable situation. That may, in fact, deter many people from voting. Many people may be worried about being out in public spaces, uh, at voting booths, uh, making themselves vulnerable at, at this very violent time. Uh, so, so what we are talking about in terms of the conflict, at least in the eastern part of the country, will have a direct consequence for the holding of the elections in a couple of weeks' time. Isn't it just bad timing with elections in just a few weeks that EAC troops are withdrawing? Are people in eastern DRC going to regret this withdrawal? This was a very deliberate decision by President Shishiketi. He went to the EAC summit two weeks ago and demanded that the EAC force leave on the 8th of December. Now, he's got the elections very much in mind in pushing the EAC force out. He knows that that force is very unpopular. He knows it's been very ineffective. So he's trying to look tough. He's, he's trying to look like a president who's in charge of the situation, who can tell the regional force when to leave. And he's also bringing in the SADAC force now. He's trying to do all of this to portray himself as in control of the situation in Eastern Congo. The problem, though, is that his lack of control over Eastern Congo has been very clear almost all the way through his presidency. So I think this is a desperate move by Shishiketi two weeks out from the election uh, to try to portray himself as in charge of the security situation. The civilian population on the ground, I think, is, is very sceptical of him in that regard. Exactly. Regarding the people on the ground, what do they make of all of this? People are scared. I, I think speaking to some of my friends and colleagues in, in various parts of Eastern Congo in the last couple of weeks, people are worried. People are anxious. People are scared. They're seeing the violence escalate. They also historically know that the holding of elections, if anything, tends to increase instability in Eastern Congo. This is a very precarious time for the civilian population. Um, and, and I think, unfortunately, those anxieties will carry on well into 2024. I was speaking to Phil Clark, an expert on the Great Lakes region. A very, very interesting discussion it was, uh, Zilia, particularly mm-hmm. um, regarding the fact that elections are just around the corner. I think 20th December, is it? It's when uh, they are going to the polls to elect mm-hmm. uh, president of the country. And now we're hearing about uh, EAC troops withdrawing from the place. But, you know, talking about the elections, uh, Zilia, there's uh, some other uh, story that has been uh, making headlines on our Facebook page, DW Africa, DR Congo refused to authorize satellite equipment for European Union election observers. They fear it might be used to manipulate the presidential poll later this month, right? In a mm-hmm. surprise decision on November 29th, the EU cancelled its electoral mission to the Central African nation, citing technical issues. Yeah, however, several officials said the cancellation came after a long-stalled request to Congolese authorities for permits for satellite equipment. Mm-hmm. In some quarters in the DRC, there is a perception that European states support opposition candidate Moise Katumbi, and we have <laughs> a lot of comments on this on our Facebook page, W Africa. That's right. Let's go quickly to Bull Fala, who says, well, if the ruling party is sure of itself, allow independent observers it will only clear the air beyond reasonable doubts. Mm-hmm. William Obiero is saying Belgium, USA and other European nations should first apologize for the murder of Patrice Lumumba. If not, let them supervise their elections. <laughs> well, Davis Mudanya says, is it really a must for European Union to observe DRC elections? I really don't understand why African countries have limited themselves to European and American puppets, mm-hmm. punching backs 
and what have you. Mm-hmm. Tanting George is saying foreign interference clearly. Why wanting to monitor with satellite? Are African nations monitoring European elections with same instruments? <laughs> well, some are saying that if you can afford those instruments, go and do those uh, to help you know monitor elections around the world. Well, I guess you can have the chance to do so. But it's definitely understandable Absolutely. how the debate is going on yeah. our Facebook page, TW Africa. It's still going. So make sure you join us there and let us know your thoughts. Now, if you just joined us, you're listening to the voice of Eddie Micah Jr. And this program is DW's Africa Link. Mm-hmm. And my name is Silja Fröhlich. Connect with us on Facebook at DW Africa. Of course, like and follow the page and comment on the stories we are covering. Coming up in the next few minutes. Ten years ago on this day, South Africa's iconic freedom fighter Nelson Mandela died. His legacy lives on, but is controversial. You can never forget to Mandela. So the people who are complaining are the ones who are not doing anything. I'm here because of what they did. You are because they were. Mm-hmm. But let's first go to Cameroon, where young girls and university students are selling products on social media to make a living. It's quite a common business, Eddie. Some mm-hmm. set up a small-scale restaurant and even go the extra mile of delivering the items and the food they sell to their customers' home. Yeah, however, the story has taken quite a dark turn, Zilia. Mm-hmm. DW's correspondent in Cameroon, Jean-Marie Ngonsong, reports that a new tradition of home delivery has become a sex trap where men and young boys, they lure these girls in their own homes to abuse them. Let's hear the story from Jean-Marie Ngozon. These girls predominantly advertise their product deliveries on social media, like WhatsApp and Facebook. In online shops and WhatsApp groups, they share pictures of fashionable items and food menus multiple times per day. Anyone who is interested can then make a request and pay in advance, including the cost for delivery. But the girls' struggle has opened doors to violence and abuse. Men ordering items to their homes trap, sexually harass, and rape the delivery girls. Jennifer Ndingwa is a final year's university student in Bamenda. She has been able to go to school and fend for herself, thanks to the money she makes from the items she sells online. She tells me that delivering products to male customers comes with great emotional stress. Some people buy not because they really want to buy, but some buy for you to come and deliver by yourself. They don't want you to send another person, especially the opposite sex. They want to see you in person. Then from there, they start wanting to be intimate with you and the race and some kind of funny stuff. Jennifer's colleague, Civiline, who is also a university student, tells me that she was almost raped when she went to deliver salad to a customer. When I came in, he was like, his friend has to go and, t- and buy bread so that they can eat with the salad. I was like, okay. I had to like serve the salad because not everybody knows how to like put the cream on the salad. Afterwards, he started touching me. He was like, most people doing home delivery now, they deliver plus yourself. So why is my case different that I have to like sleep with him? Luckily for me, his neighbor, his closest neighbor was able to, to get me shouting so the guy had to open the door and the other guy came in and saved me that's how I, how I 
succeeded from that. Sevelyn is not alone with that experience. Myra, who cooks and delivers fufu, was trapped by four young men in a house. She survived because her friend was waiting outside. So when I got to the location, I went there with a friend and since I was just going to supply and return back, she was outside. When I got in, they pleaded that I put the fufu corn on the plates. There were actually four boys in the house. And while I was trying to put it on the plates, they locked the door behind me. When I was done, I told them I wanted to leave. But they said, no, there's no way I'm leaving. That we were going to eat together and they were going to have sex with me, all four of them. I tried escaping and discovered that the door was locked and there was nothing I could do. When the friend of mine who was outside saw, saw how the door was shaking and discovered that I was in trouble, she raised alarm and people actually came and saved me. There are thousands of other cases like Myra's. The Anglophone crisis in Cameroon has made the situation worse for many girls who resort to business to survive. Most victims do not report oppressed for criminal charges out of fear of being blamed and discriminated. Jean-Marie Ngongsong with this report from Cameroon. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, Zelia, as a lady, obviously, you'll be in the best position to tell me. It must really be challenging when you're a lady going about your normal duties, but now you have to really worry about some guys just stressing you out sexually. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it would be nice if you could just go about your normal work, about your normal day without um, having to worry about these kind of issues. But as we are all aware, um, it is an issue. And the problem definitely that I see comes with reporting those kind of cases Mm -hmm. because too often, much too often, still... um, the blame is on the victim at the end, Mm. which is called victim blaming. And unfortunately, that's a huge issue because... You know, is that you feel the victim blaming part is is why a lot of ladies keep it to themselves and are afraid to bring it out? Yeah, I think there's like um, a certain kind of well concept or like understanding that mm. um, for for a woman you kind of must have provoked it, right? Like you you went into that house Ridiculous. by yourself, you wore something specific, and unfortunately, even though we're talking about that quite a lot, mm. that does not really has not really changed yet, and. Um, so I can just ask yeah. for anyone out there, keep um, yeah. your wives, your girlfriends, your daughters, your yeah. friends, keep them safe, have an eye on them. And yeah. um, I think that's a very important last point that you're making, because as a guy, I mean, I'm, I'm the only guy in my family. I have three sisters. I, I keep asking myself, what role can I play in making sure mm-hmm. that the women around me are safe? You know, or are prote- I, how can I protect them in any sense against other men? Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's something that really constantly dawns. Yeah. And I mean, it's, the truth is, it's not the duty of the women to change, right? Yeah. Because they're not provoking um, most yeah. of the time. And um, it's it's the habits or the behavior of the man that just needs, yeah. I don't know, like a rebrand when it comes to like how to deal with a woman properly. Yeah. Yeah. Getting uh, my uh, lessons uh, from Zelia Frelish here. Let <laughs> us know your thoughts on our Facebook page, DW Africa. Some of these definitely must stop. But uh, let's go to other stories making headlines. Today marks exactly 10 years after the death of South Africa's first president and struggle icon, Nelson Mandela, right? I didn't even need to mention his name. You all Mm -hmm. know Mandela died on the 5th of December 2013 at the age of 95. His selfless determination to fight for freedom of his country and for justice around the world earned him so much global respect. The United Nations in 2009 declared the 18th of July his birthday as the Nelson Mandela International Day. Mm -hmm. And on this day, his values and legacy are remembered across the world. However, 10 years after his death, South Africans seem to be divided on the legacy left behind by the world icon. Tusukumalo reports from Johannesburg. 
He spent 27 years in prison for the freedom of his country, campaigned for peace across the world, held the presidency for only five years, and passed the baton voluntarily. These are only but a few of the many trades that gained Nelson Mandela international respect. In his country, he presided over the production of a constitution that put to an end one of the most brutal oppression of the black race. But 10 years after his death, some South Africans are faulting him for giving too much in those negotiations that gave birth to South Africa's revered democracy and freedom. Nolutando Sibisi, a young South African university student, says Mandela let the former oppressors get away with too much. How do you, like, say, after people have enjoyed pain, you say, like, oh, we are remuneration, everything is in past, we should move it one, like, how? Without representation, sorry, without uh, giving back to people and also, like, making sure that we are equal as people. Our economy is held by white people, so we don't have any say per se, so it's not like we are truly free. But Nomtanda Zositole, a member of Nelson Mandela's party, the African National Congress, disagrees. We carry that legacy. It is in our blood. You can never forget to Mandela. So the people who are complaining are the ones who are not doing anything. You can forget the motiva dance, the smile. Yo, there's a lot to remember. What's not to remember about him? We learned a lot. I'm here because of what they did. You are because they were. However, Shombo Tohomusi argues that it is those who took over from Mandela in the ruling African National Congress who sold out, not him. The ANC distorted. The, the leading government right now distorted because the things that they are doing are not in line with uh, the visions that uh, Utah and Mandela had. Corruption is one of them. Abusing state power, another one of them and neglecting the most important masses of our country, which are black people. That is the legacy that Mandela made sure he spent a lot of time in prison for as well. Stephen Grosset, head of African Governance and Diplomacy Program at the Johannesburg-based South African Institute of International Affairs, says it's not fair to blame Mandela for the faults of those he left behind. Many of those... Uh, iconic figures were selfless, were putting country before their own needs and desires and greed. Um, I think after Mandela, we started to see uh, a lot of corruption and rot within the ruling party, uh, dodgy tenders for, for huge government contracts. Mandela's grandson, Chief Mandela Mandela says his grandfather's legacy can never fade away, especially that of seeking justice for all. He says he and other South Africans in the civil society space will honor Madiba's 10-year death anniversary by standing together with the people of Palestine. We felt it is a good uh, tribute to ensure that uh, we champion the causes that he stood for. Palestine was one of those issues that he held close to his heart. He regarded the Palestinian struggle as the greatest moral issue of our time. Meanwhile, 
a number of activities were held across the country to honor the icon, including the Nelson Mandela annual lecture held in Johannesburg. Tusukomalu from South Africa. And Eddie, now mm-hmm. talking some showbiz, mm-hmm. looking at the world of the rich and famous. Right. What do you have for me, <laughs> Well, to start with, we should acknowledge South African singer Tyler and Nigerian hitmaker Aria Star for being included on the BBC's Sound of 2024 list. Mm-hmm. The list which tips music's most exciting new stars suggests dance and Afrobeats will dominate the next 12 months. No doubt. Yeah, Tyler's single Water became her first top 10 hit in the United States earning her a Grammy nomination for Best African Music Performance. You know that song? Back me up, back me I don't know the lyric, but it's very, it's really caught up on uh, TikTok. Every time I open TikTok, I'm like, what you is like this? I like it. I, I like the groove <laughs> on it. But hey guys, just a reminder for all Rema fans out there, the Nigerian singer has called off all his December performances in an Instagram story post. Uh, Afrobeats icon revealed that his health had taken a back seat due to his countless shows in recent times. Mm, with scheduled shows in Nigeria and South Africa, Rima emphasized the need to take a break and focus on recovery, saying, It breaks my heart to say that I won't be performing anywhere this December. Been years of touring, I've ignored my health and I need time to recuperate. 2024, we go again, love. That's what he said. Mm, no, yeah. but, you know, I think this just draws the attention, Zelia, when it comes to taking time to to breathe you know sometimes you get into this groove where it's a little back and forth you're always on the grind always on the move and we forget to to pause and take care of ourselves so i I find this a very mature statement of course for the fans they're going to be like ouch i thought my december is going to be with rema but i guess not Mm -hmm. yeah i mean it's also the end of the year right i mean everybody has to finish up some business there's still so many things on the plate to get done the checklist is just getting longer with christmas and new year's coming up so i think everybody should take take a breath yeah Take it slow, watch yourself, take care of yourself. I hope uh, I'm looking forward to do that a little bit during the festive period. (laughs) I hope you are thinking of the same too. It's time to wrap up this show. Thanks a lot for those of you tuning in via our Facebook page, DW Africa. I am Eddie Micah Jr. And I'm Zelia Fröhlich. Let's do this again tomorrow. DW Mid for minds.